Welcome to Sustainability in the Air, the world's first podcast dedicated to sustainable aviation. This show is brought to you by Simplifying, which has been helping build trust in travel for over a decade. Through in-depth conversation with aviation leaders, sustainability in the air breaks through the current clutter and provides a clear roadmap for the future. It's about time we embarked on creating a net-zero future for the industry, together. This season of the podcast is brought to you by Carbon Click, leaders in managing carbon offsetting programs for top global airlines. Without further ado, here's your host, Shashank Nigam, CEO of Simplifying. Welcome to Sustainability in the Air podcast, episode one on Earth Day 2022. It is my pleasure to be hosting. My name is Shashank Nigam. I'm the CEO of Simplifying and for over a decade, Simplifying has helped over 100 airlines, airports, OEMs within aviation to help build trust between customers and help build trust in travel. Going forward, trust will require airlines, airports, and the entire industry to share how we build a sustainable future. And no airline is doing as much as Etihad Airways when it comes to taking measures proactively on sustainability and also communicating about these measures. And that is why it is my pleasure to welcome Tony Douglas, the CEO of Etihad Airways Group, to share with me today this journey of sustainability that Etihad has been on. Tony, it's great to be speaking once again. And in the last, since the last time we spoke, you've managed to operate a flight with 72% less carbon emissions than the last time you flew that. Tell me a little about that, please. That sounds quite remarkable. Uh, since our last catch-up, and the flight that you refer to uh, for us was actually really interesting. It was uh, back in October of last year, and um, it was a culmination of all manner of sustainability flights that we'd operated in the previous two years, where all the individual um, initiatives that we trialled, we put them all together on this one flight, EY20, from London Heathrow to Abu Dhabi, and it was a 72% reduction on the carbon footprint from the equivalent flight back in 2019. Now, of course, as a headline-grabbing statement, everybody goes, wow, this sustainability challenge, therefore, is a lot easier than any of us maybe thought, but of course, anything but the truth. Um, because how did we get that 72%? There were four big contributing factors and then a whole bunch of other uh, uh, that in combination added to it. But the four were as follows. The equivalent flight back in 2019 for us was on an A380. So first of all, um, a less efficient aircraft in terms of fuel burn, significantly less efficient, sadly, much heavier, uh, older generation avionics, and so on and so forth. The second element is we operated with 38% SAF, sustainable aviation fuel. And people say to me, my goodness me, Tony, clearly that was the outcome of a very complicated algorithm that calculated 38% precisely 
and again, nothing further from the truth, it was because the 50% we wanted was simply not available in the market. It was between three and five X more expensive, and even an airport as sophisticated as London Heathrow currently doesn't have the infrastructure to deliver the sustainable aviation fuel direct to the aircraft. But nonetheless, 38% was a massive contribution to the reduction uh, all up. The third part of it was a continuous descent with a direct route plan. So we worked with Eurocontrol and air traffic control within the United Arab Emirates to get the most direct point A to point B with, importantly, a continuous descent. That took 40 minutes out of the flight time and the equivalent of six tonnes of CO2 reduction. And I think that's another big clue that not surprisingly contributed significantly to the 72%. And the fourth and final one is we worked with a really innovative company called Satavia who allowed us to evaluate using barometric pressure, air temperature and weather patterns the way in which we could make subtle changes to the flight plan and altitude to reduce condensation trails. And for many, of course, on those lovely clear mornings when you look up into the sky and you see those condensation trails, they look quite beautiful, but it's CO2. So the elimination of those is really important. So add the four together plus all of the other components, 72%. But I guess here's the punchline. Two of them at least aren't repeatable and sustainable anytime soon. And they're two of the biggest elements. It's the sustainable aviation fuel and the direct route planning. And I guess what we've used the green liner, which was the flying test bed in the case of EY20, the flight from London Heathrow to Abu Dhabi. And what we've now got is its sibling, the sustainable 50, is almost poster children to draw attention to the challenges that lie ahead of us. And particularly with sustainable aviation fuels, I guess we're caught with the chicken and the egg in terms of there's not enough out there at the moment, but on the other side of it, nobody can afford it anyway. So it's drawing attention to that, plus in particular, the fact that the air traffic control rules have been largely laid down decades and decades a generation earlier, when most aircraft had propellers on them, you know, maximum flight times may have been five or six hours. So they're almost like the Roman roads in the sky, which of course dictate so many uh, route plans that we all fly upon today. So I guess what it's been for us is an ability to illustrate that the 2050 challenge that the whole of the industry has signed up to is not just something for the airlines or the OEMs, the manufacturers, or um, the way in which the collective aviation industry to comes together. It's around policy setters, governments, regulators, but also the way the travelling public chooses to fly. And increasingly, we're seeing that the choices that people are making have a far bigger influence on the carbon footprint that it creates. So finally, that EY20 flight in October for us was a really important way to illustrate it's doable, it's possible, 
but it's still an enormous challenge for all of us from A to Z. That is fantastic and kudos to you and your team for leading that because I think you were definitely the first airline in the Middle East to lead that possibly in the world. And one thing you mentioned previously, the last time we spoke, you were running the green liner platform, the 787 together with Boeing. And now there's the sustainable 50, which is the A350. What's changed? How is this A350 different from what you did with the green liner? Uh, we brought it um, to the market first at the Dubai Air Show in December of last year, which corresponded with the 50th anniversary of the United Arab Emirates, but also the brand is to call out the commitment that the whole of aviation has signed up to for net zero by 2050. So it's not the Airbus Sustainable 50 in the same way that it's not the Airbus, or sorry, it's not the Boeing uh, uh, Greenliner. It's not the Etihad Sustainable 50 in the same way that it's not the Etihad Greenliner. It's simply the Sustainable 50. It is the other standout performer that's in the marketplace today. Next generation, largely composite uh, structure, next generation engines with Rolls-Royce XWB, extra wide body, next generation avionics and controls, 25% less fuel burn than aircraft of equivalent size in the previous generation. But of course, what we've now got is Boeing with GE, and Airbus with Rolls-Royce. So it's a collaboration now with a far broader uh, section of the innovative aerospace manufacturing sector. And what we're trying to do with the Sustainable 50 is even build more momentum onto what we've done with the Greenliner. So we flew our inaugural flight into Paris-Charles de Gaulle, uh, three weeks ago. I have to say that was really exciting for us because it also had our all-new product offering on board, our new business class, our new economy space and our new economy product. But it was an opportunity to show now that if you've got a brilliant idea, be you a scientist, be you an entrepreneur, be you a part of the uh, academic world, be you an SME or be you a big corporate but not in the aviation sector, if you've got a genius idea and you want to test it, bring it to the Sustainable 50 because there's no one silver bullet, as perhaps illustrated before with that EY20 flight, that's going to resolve this sustainability challenge. It's going to be a combination of lots of things and probably developments that we can't even imagine today but the attempt of the Sustainable 50 and the Greenliner will be a go-to call-out for people to know where to bring it to. Um, that, that's fantastic, Tony. Now, you mentioned that anyone can use it. That's, that's really interesting. But there was something that I want to catch on earlier, which is uh, you mentioned SAF. SAF is in short supply and it's super expensive. Who pays for SAF? Can the airline be expected to pay five to six times the cost of jet fuel to keep supplying SAF, especially when it's short in supply? How is SAF going to fit in this equation and who's going to pay for it? As you rightly say, the dilemma, of course, today is even if you can get access to it, it's between three and five X more expensive. And even if you could afford it, you can't get it. So the genuine dilemma, of course, now, that said, 
I guess the world's seen lots of examples of evolving products and evolving technologies where you, now, you need to build up enough demand to be able to create a reduction in price, but without an understanding of where the reduction in price is going, it's always a challenge to build demand, right? So where the industry faces that dilemma at the moment is essentially how we get what is the single biggest cost for most airlines, i.e. the fuel bill, when oil prices are already challenging all of us yet again at this current point in time, to be able to find a way where you can afford to pay three or five or even six times more. That's not commercially sustainable. So commercial sustainability and environmental sustainability, of course, fit into the same sentence. So back to the green liner, increasingly with the sustainable 50 as well, we're trying to use the proof points that I've described to give people harder evidence to discuss this at geopolitical levels, at regulatory levels, but also to inspire the big producers, the importance of how they contribute to this. But everything counts, and allow me perhaps to use an illustration. At the turn of the year, we introduced the world's first ever green loyalty programme. It's called Conscious Choices. And the idea of this one is relatively simple. So if people who are listening to this represent big corporates and you regularly have, through necessity, people flying on the sectors that we operate or that of some of our co-chair partners, i.e. where you would have normally, through a loyalty programme, earned Etihad guest miles, what we're saying now is you can switch into the green loyalty programme. So... When your uh, directors or associates or business partners are travelling, if they're part of Etihad's Conscious Choices programme, first of all, you can elect to make an environmental surcharge, so $20, $40, $80, $100 surcharge on the ticket. Um, what you then have the opportunity is to choose how you want to donate that surcharge to either buying sustainable aviation fuel, good, putting it into... Uh, accredited uh, forestation programs, obviously good, or putting it into the Abu Dhabi uh, mangrove forest, planting mangroves, which are far more carbon uh, efficient in the consumption thereof than regular forestation. Equally, with the miles that you accrue, the Etihad guest miles, you have the opportunity to pledge them into either SAF, into forestation or into mangroves as well, you then get the carbon offset certificate for the equivalent. So you can imagine those people now listening to this who are corporates who are, or thinking through what it would mean to be a corporate in this case. It's now your annual results presentation. You've stood there on the stage and presented your great numbers. Congratulations and a round of applause. But then people have asked you about your CSR agenda and you had a conscious choice to travel with something like I've described with Etihad with its green loyalty, or you went for old-fashioned airline limited, you paid $1 less, but you were flying around on an aircraft that was built in 1986 with engines that were designed two decades earlier, producing 30 to 40% more CO2. Now, the more important point is, this is about even using the consumer end of it now to be able to build more investment into the demand for sustainable aviation fuel. 
that one in its own right won't be a big dial mover, but I guess the overall point that we've learned to date, it's the sum of all of the small parts. But undeniably, in our opinion, SAF is a major contributor going forward, absolutely for sure, certainly until such time the more hydrogen derivative products become more practical and readily available. Now, one question. I, I love the concept choices and how it's been designed. From what I understand, I can earn miles using the program, but doesn't that encourage me to fly more? After all, it's a loyalty program, isn't it? And doesn't that then defeat the purpose of flying greener? Well, it seems apparent that no matter what happens, there will be a continued demand for air travel. Um, and until we've cracked the carbon reduction challenge that we're all aware of, um, the only way with the physics of flight that are available to us today, and probably for at least another generation, is in the fashion that we're very familiar with. So it's about how do we bring the many levers that we can collectively pull to get this to be more environmentally sustainable. And therefore, it's as simple as this. You've got a conscious choice. You can either fly in a way that I've described with Etihad, and hopefully over time in a similar way with many other airlines, that means that you are consciously taking a carbon offset because part of what you've put into it has gone into buying sustainable aviation fuel. You've built up demand which in part has helped that chicken and egg challenge that I described earlier. Or you had a conscious choice, maybe, to save $1, fly on the old Ford F-150 and actually not do the planet any favours at all. So this is actually a lot more strategic, in our opinion, to start to bring together the option, the choice in a conscious way, with a community of travellers that are probably far more aware now than obviously ever were in the past. But what we also see with our focus forums is going forward, particularly with slightly younger generations as well, is in light of an option that I've just described, where you can consciously choose to do it differently, this is probably going to gather an awful lot more momentum. And I guess when you unpack it, it's actually a relatively straightforward proposition because the only other alternative to consciously choose, and I probably overplayed the metaphor, is flying for a dollar cheaper on the F-150, but then you've collected miles on the F-150, then to fly on the F-150 again. So you've almost compounded the error. So I guess that's the way we're looking at this one at the moment. Right. Now, that's a nice way to uh, clarify it. Now, Etihad was also, one of the things you just mentioned is I can offset some of my travel using miles for mangroves, for example. I believe Etihad was one of the first airlines to start its own carbon offsetting program, I believe, in partnership with uh, the Kiwi company Carbon Click. Um, yet, lots of airline CEOs says that carbon offsetting is a sham, it just doesn't work. Yet, Etihad continues to offer it and double down. How does carbon offsetting work for you, in your case? Offsetting for such a long time has had a questionable reputation to whether it's real or what's claimed to be the offsetting benefit can be converted into reality. So accreditation, that means that the governance can be attested, uh, can be audited and can be uh, evidenced 
uh, for us is essential and therefore working with Carbon Click for us has been really good for all manner of reasons which I'll come back to. Um, we've got a number of, of programmes in place. Uh, we've got uh, forestation uh, in Tanzania. Um, through Carbon Click we are offsetting um, in many other uh, regions in an accredited way uh, also. But as you mentioned, uh, closer to home, Abu Dhabi for perhaps people less familiar with this beautiful uh, emirate um, is uh, surrounded by the Gulf, uh, the beautiful ocean that uh, kisses the, the shoreline and the many islands that surround us, um, most of which have large mangrove um, um, <clears throat> forests uh, surrounding them. Mangroves, interestingly, uh, from a botanical standpoint, are significantly more efficient in consuming, absorbing CO2 than many regular forest species. And of course, it's closer to home. So what we've also got involved in now is the Abu Dhabi mangrove forest, where we are busily planting mangroves, but linking it to things like Conscious Choices Green Loyalty, and linking it to many other initiatives that we've got where we're offsetting, if people choose to want to put it into mangroves, as opposed to forestation, as opposed to SAF, you've now got that option. And I guess what we love about this is we're now dealing with an ability that you've got a conscious choice. It's not just one option, you know, it's binary. You've got a conscious choice. But what you've then got is an accredited offset certificate, so you know it's real. And back to Carbon Click and the way in which they've supported us with all of this, it's been, for us, uh, essential, number one. And if I just give one very quick example, um, like most loyalty programs, you get to the time of the year where the miles that you've earned, if you've not used them, they then kind of burn out. Um, and what we elected to do, first of all, through COVID, um, to make it clear to our guests, is we didn't have any miles that would do that. We just allowed everything to roll over because of the uncertainty. But as travel restrictions has eased and we've got back almost to normality now, as miles are now going back to where they're burning out, we've allowed people, rather than to lose them all together, do they actually want to go onto the Etihad store and get themselves again maybe you know, some uh, iPods or an iPhone or whatever, or more importantly, do they want to put them into uh, SAF, forestation, mangroves, and Carbon Click have facilitated all of that. And I have to say, we've been pleasantly surprised how many people have elected to go into, rather than lose my miles, I'm actually going to pledge them into carbon offsetting. And I think it's another piece of evidence that there's so much appreciation today that going forward, those kind of conscious choices are going to make more and more of a difference. It's fantastic to know that you're offering these proactively to your customers, especially as flying comes back. Uh, one of the statistics we keep seeing is people love to say that they will offset their flights, but less than 1% actually do it. Do you have numbers as to how many percentage of you know Etihad guest members are actually using their miles and what what's what are the numbers looking like? What we have seen up to now is an incredible take up by corporates, 
um, who want to get involved in conscious choices at the corporate level for the reasons that I've described before. Um, and equally, the point that I referred to, i.e. when miles are expiring, people who rather than lose it or rather than buying themselves yet another uh, device or you know some aftershave or whatever it might be, um, would ha more happily put it into offsetting. Off and I guess back to the point I suggested, it's a single point in a, in, in, in a chart at the moment. If what we're seeing is this line now is going to build over this year, which we believe it will do, and hopefully we pray that it does, this will be one of the many levers that will be so important to pull in the right direction that will contribute to the all-over 2050 target. Because as I said before, um, the airlines which understandably are the whipping boy for when it comes to the carbon problem, I think as all of us know, you know we represent less than 2% of global CO2 production, um, but we actually can't eradicate it on our own. It's simply impossible, given the physics of flight and the available technology anytime soon. So this will require all of the things that I described from that London Heathrow to Abu Dhabi flight, plus a whole bunch more going forward for us to be able to get over the line by 2050. But I guess what it really points to there should be enough confidence here that, you know, the ingenuity of mankind and the ability to actually collect oneself around doing the right thing for the right reasons means that this problem is one that we can solve. Absolutely. So we spoke, a, you spoke a little about the future. What's next? You're, you're doing carbon offsetting, you're doing SAF, you're operating this flights on Dreamliners and A350s. What's next? Are we going to see Etihad investing in startups like United and JetBlue are doing? What's next for Etihad and sustainability? Green financing is something that we've been very much at the forefront of making it part of the way in which we support our balance sheet. So things, you know, all the way through into that space. Um, if I move into things that contribute smaller components. But frankly, as far as we're concerned, they're as important as anything else. Why? It spreads the word, it educates, it illuminates, it brings more attention to it, is on the build-up to uh, Earth Day, uh, Friday of this week, um, what we'll be doing is operating 33 flights, uh, which are sustainable flights, uh, during the course of this week. Um, so we'll be looking at all manner of things within the blend of that in terms of, again, optimum flight planning. We'll be looking at continuous descents. We'll be looking at, you know, last minute engine starts, single engine taxis, all of the simple things, all of the ones that we know how to play. Many others do as well. Um, but connecting them together. Over 20 of the 33 flights will be using uh, Satavia technology for the elimination of condensation trails. And I have to say, that's something that over the last year we've got really excited by because the more we've understood uh, the science of condensation trails, the more we've understood the way in which predictability of avoidance and the impact that that has, 
the more keen we've got to be able to trial it, instrument it, learn from it, retrial it, re-instrument it, and so on and so forth. And, um, you know, that's for us not about we can crack it single-handedly, uh, and we're not doing it just for Etihad, as far as we're concerned. As I said before, it's not the Etihad Greenliner. It's not the Etihad Sustainable 50. These are go-to personas to help us collectively find solutions. So even with Earth Day, we'll be doing all manner of uh, flights. And there'll be commercial flights. They will have guests on board. We'll be talking to our guests while they're on board. Um just to share what we're doing um, and to give them a sense of we're all in this together and being responsible. That's that's fantastic. In fact, this podcast episode will debut on Earth Day as the inaugural episode on the world's first uh, podcast on sustainable aviation. Final question for you, Tony. You seem to have clarity in terms of what's been done and what's coming for Etihad. But to many airline CEOs, this is a wild west out there with a lot of uh, pressure from corporates, a lot of pressure from uh, people who call airlines greenwashing uh, companies. Where would you advise an airline CEO get started today on sustainability if they were just starting out? The one thing we could do is predict that there would be an end to the pandemic. We didn't know when, of course, but logic always suggested that there would be a point where the pandemic would move to the next phase and over time perhaps eradicate itself. The one thing we were equally sure with was there is no obvious solution to the sustainability challenge anytime soon. And consequently, it's more likely to be the ultimate differentiator of who the winners, who the losers who will actually sustain themselves in the world of commercial aviation going forward. So I guess if the question was from somebody who was doing a startup right now, I would probably say, make this your number one priority because environmental sustainability and commercial sustainability will increasingly sit in the same sentence. Absolutely. Not very, very important words for anyone starting out. And I'm sure lots of executives will appreciate this. Tony, thank you so much for being so upfront and honest and open. Uh, the vision is truly inspiring. And I can't wait to board personally the Sustainable 50 and Greenliner Green myself because I've not flown those two Etihad products. And hopefully uh, I'll meet you in person over the summer. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sustainability in the Air, the world's first podcast dedicated to sustainable aviation. We hope you liked it and will share it with your network. Please also leave us a review. Awareness is the key to a green future. Your support will help our insights on sustainable aviation reach a wider audience. You can also write to us at podcast at and for more content on sustainable aviation, please visit our website, simplifying.com, and join the movement. <laughs>